0: Welcome, football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop.
1: Hello, football fans. This is episode 77, 2023 championship preview and more. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you have always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Talk XFL" at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. It is XFL Championship Week. This week we have several new league developments to discuss. In addition, NeuroSync Chairman, CEO, and President Gary Gregory joins the show to discuss their partnership with the XFL. Also, contributor Mark Halbach returns to preview this weekend's championship game, as well as discuss the Offensive Player of the Year and all XFL teams. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On May 4th, the XFL announced its partnership with NeuroSync to advance concussion protocol. Per the league's press release, This arrangement was launched this season and establishes Neurosync's award-winning iSync technology as the official and exclusive concussion management technology of the XFL. The league has relied on the objective data and unique insights provided by iSync to support the concussion diagnostic decision-making process and to ensure a safe return to play. In addition to iSync's role on game day, the XFL also utilized the technology to better understand the type and severity of concussion injury, leading to more specific treatment and recovery plan. Neurosync has worked collaboratively with the league to conduct player preseason baseline screenings, assess relevant player and position-specific injury data, conduct extensive injury-related analysis on prevalence and recovery times, and make recommendations to improve player health and safety. The iSync technology combines proprietary software and data analytics with high-performance sensors and virtual reality headset to measure and to quantify eye movement abnormalities that often occur after a concussion. FDA-cleared as an aid to concussion diagnostics, iSync is the only VR technology approved by the FDA for neurological care. It is currently used by healthcare providers in hospitals and rehabilitation centers, sports, military, and in CNS drug development around the world. Then, on May 8th, the league announced its 2023 All-XFL Offensive, Defensive, and Specialist teams. Later in the show, Mark Hallbach and I will discuss those honored. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by NeuroSync Chairman, CEO, and President Gary Gregory to discuss their partnership with the XFL. Welcome, Gary. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show to discuss NeuroSync's partnership with the XFL.
0: Michael, it's a pleasure to be here. We're excited about our partnership with the XFL and enthused to have a chance to talk with you today.
1: You know, it is, like I said, a pleasure. It's not every time that we get an opportunity to dig beyond the sports that we see on the field, right? I think we get so caught up into being a fan, spectator, whatever the term we want to use. There's so many moving parts behind the scenes that we just don't get to see daily or on game day that I think it's very beneficial to have these moments, to have folks like you. So I'm pretty certain the listeners are also intrigued to see what we can learn from this partnership. But before we go down that road too much, I always believe it's very beneficial for the listeners to share some of your backstory and your role at Neurosync. So they just have a better understanding before we kind of dive into the the partnership. So if you don't mind, can you take a moment
0: to do so? Sure thing. So I've been in healthcare uh, my whole career. I did the big company route with Kendall, Baxter, and Johnson and Johnson. And last stop was working at a corporate across the device and diagnostic businesses at J and J. you know, it was a little bit of personal background. A couple of presidents pulled me aside and said, "Gary, you're a startup guy," and I was I was shocked uh, because I thought I was going to retire J and J, but um, they were right. And I've done a number of startups and had success in doing. That at uh, several companies, but most of them have been in the neurology health space. And what excited me about Neurosync was I had a former investor and board member give me a call and he said, Gary, you got to look at this technology. And as soon as I learned more from Dr. Jam Gajar, founder, and, and the entire Neurosync team, the more I realized that this technology had huge wheels and a runway to transform neurohealth diseases and uh, not only from a diagnostic but a therapeutic perspective and uh, the XFL partnership truly exemplifies that in action well
1: thank you for that because there's always more in the lead up to just what we see today years ago contact sports teams administrators even you know notably the national football league tried to distance themselves from head injuries and their long-term effects on players and their lives. However, recent years, things have changed where equipment and protocols have received significant attention and investment. And when I mean attention, we just look at last year with the National Football League with the Miami Dolphins quarterback, Tua. That was a very questionable thing. We're seeing it in the media as to what was happening with him now. How is he allowed back out there? What is his real status? Is this going to end his career? We're not going to dive too much into Tua because that's not what we're here for. Sure. What I'm just trying to get at is the attention has significantly changed. Where we're not just, okay, head injury, the guy's out for a bit. We're so aware of it now, and it's so front and center, that it's not just teams, physicians, media. It's also the fans are, okay, where are we at? What is this going to do? with our sports especially a sport like football that we know that can be so violent at times we see a league like the XFL changing rules trying to implement and be you know new innovative ways to modernize the game but also make it more safe so as we see this change within this movement here we have NeuroSync I didn't know much about you really I mean it was something that I was like okay this is new what is it so can you walk us through exactly what Neurosync is and how it's at the forefront of player safety and just people's safety in general without disclosing your intellectual property and trade secrets. By all means, you know, I'm just kind of curious what is it and exactly what is iSync? Uh,
0: happy, to, happy to answer that question. And I think with your question provided and preamble, it's really important to recognize that the XFL's leadership team. Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Danny Garcia have a very progressive approach towards player health and safety. And we were called into the XFL based on our technology because at the root of what they're doing, they're thinking about not only a great league and a product being put on the field and, and players thriving and, and doing so well with the opportunities, but they're also thinking about at the root of this player Safety. And so the iSync technology is an award winning platform, and it's been used by over 200,000 in in over 200,000 patient assessments from leading institutions, from Mass General to Stanford, and quite prominently now our work with the XFL. The technology at its root is a headset uh, that records eye movement abnormalities. And what we do is we compare those eye movement abnormalities to, in the XFL's case, their own player baselines, which we did. We did a baseline of all players up front, but we compare if there is a suspected injury of the player to their baseline and to the league's baseline that allows the physician to make a determination as to whether or not the concussion is present and the severity of it. It's remarkable. It's FDA cleared. It's backed by 215,000 patient studies or assessments. It's um, got 16 patents, 30-plus peer-reviewed publications, and stands on top of uh, utilization in, in markets from the clinical arena and sports team arena to um, pharmaceutical drug trials, and last but not least, the military, who've all used it to assess a variety of neurohealth conditions. And in the XFL's case, most notably concussion.
1: How is this really being implemented at the league level? Right, We just learned of the partnership, but we know that this was ongoing. In the press release, it said that they've been using it all season long. This partnership has been in place, even though they just released the press release. So how has this been implemented? Is this device handed over to the athletic training staff? to assist the physicians that are on the side? Cause we, we all know that little pop-up tent, that blue tent that pops up on the sideline, the players are being evaluated. Right. Or is it one of your staff members that's really trained into this more involved in the entire process? It just kind of, I know I'm throwing a lot at you. These are loaded questions. You know, they're, it's like an onion peeling back the layers, but I think this is kind of the things that I'm wondering and I'm, Certain, there's probably other listeners out there as well. So how are we administering this? Is this kind of handed over, or are you guys still very much involved in this entire process?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, Michael. And we have been involved uh, with the XFL before the league launched the season. And our work together began with designing and developing the most effective protocol for player safety. Using the latest and greatest technology, most notably the iSync platform, to advance that, particularly on the concussion front. So it started with protocol development and then working together with the XFL athletic training team under Kerry Gordon's direction. We baseline all 600 plus athletes before the season began and created a baseline personalized to each player, but also then with the collective data from the XFL and then. Anytime that there was a suspected injury that occurred, whether it was on the practice field or most notably in the game, there would be an assessment using standard metrics by the physician or the staff. And then, if they, after doing a quick baseline assessment, had suspicion of concussion, then they utilized the iSync technology as the exclusive platform to tell no go or no go on the player's ability to play. Is the presence of concussion? There And with that definitive, quantified, and objective data for the first time, you have healthcare providers being able to make the right call. And then to go one step further, every step of the way on the path to recovery, if there was, in fact, a concussion identified, they were using and have used the iSync technology to shepherd the player's safe return to play. So pre uh, going back on the field to being on the field without contact to having contact to being back in game play action. The icing platform was the driver in allowing the XFL and the player with a transparent approach to know with quantified objective data, you are good to go. You have brain health readiness and you're prepared to play once again. Baselines.
1: We hear this term baseline all the time. Baseline is probably your normal state, probably to kind of get into that. But I guess what I'm curious about, I've worked in the safety world for a long time where we used to do standardized hearing testing which was required by OSHA. So baselines can shift over time. Are we, as in we, meaning Neurosync, the XFL, are we seeing and monitoring shifts in baseline on these players as far as on the concussion? Or is that something that once their baseline is set, we always use it as their baseline? I mean, I'm just digging a little bit deeper here into the weeds because I'm just using some of my safety with the hearing testing and things changing. I'm just curious how that works here with somebody's
0: brain. Yeah. So so first let me uh, describe the iSync technology and how it works. And then let's talk about how it's been used in the program and, and protocol with the XFL. So the ISync technology is a headset based technology we use an xr platform it's clinical grade but it kind of looks and feels externally similar to you know a, a headset that's used in in game efforts uh, across the land right but the headset is applied by a healthcare provider and we do a series of ten assessments and those assessments start with a the calibration then approximately 30 seconds for each assessment and we're capturing over 5000 data points in every 30-second assessment. You combine all the assessments together, and, and in a matter of minutes, you have this comprehensive ocular motor and vestibular assessment of the player's brain health status. We're tracking all of these different capabilities, and then we establish with that a baseline for the player that is carried throughout the season. Now, back to your question on the baseline, that first baseline serves as not only their benchmark, but then we compare it to the baseline for all players in the XFL. And so all combined, the player has a, a clear and the healthcare providers, the the trainers, most notably in physicians, have a clear understanding of exactly where this player starts to season out. Now if there is ever an injury, they are compared to all of that normative or baseline data as you just described. And uh, we'll know immediately because the baseline serves as the mark. But if there is injury, we monitor their progression against that injury to their recovery where they're given a green light, again, via this broad uh, normative baseline that's applied to the individual. So with the timing
1: of the press release, we know, obviously, you've already been partnered up with them in the lead up to 2023 season. We got the championship game this weekend. Pis that this is a long-term partnership. Can you shed some light on? obviously, if there's obviously you guys are in the mix for year two or or beyond?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. We're uh what we did in year one was the foundation for many years to come. And uh, as I mentioned, the XFL leadership's progressive vision on player' safety and using the latest and greatest technology to advance that sets the foundation for our work. In many years to come, we've learned a lot this year in implementing the platform, and it's the first complete league-wide adoption of our technology. It's been used by countless sports teams across the land and around the world, but now being applied on a league-wide basis, we learned so much. We learned advancements in the protocol. We learned advancements in the um, comprehensive baseline assessment done in in a you know a day or two of time at uh, Arlington to the implementation from not only a diagnostic after the, the quick blue line, blue uh, tent assessment was done to the player's diagnosis with a concussion using definitive quantified objective data to their recovery and back to the field. So all of those learnings set up the foundation for even greater accomplishment in the years to come. And as an you know, example, the leadership of the xFL dj and and Danny want to take this and make this platform held high for other sports to emulate because concussion is a is a challenge that occurs in many sports as an example there's more concussions recorded in sock high school soccer than there are in high school football every year just an example of the omnipresent nature of concussion and it also applies to the general population concussion and TBI happens many times in an auto accident and you have a motor vehicle collision and individuals are suffering from concussion and and uh, it can be quite deleterious to the lives of individuals. So the foundation of our partnership creates the ability for the XFL and NeuroSync to go to the next level in forthcoming years and also for us to be able to hold that high for other sports to emulate and for athletes and individuals to have better care, treatment, and recovery from, you know, the deleterious impact of a concussion. So you had
1: mentioned that you're involved or have partnerships with various sports entities. And I, I did have a little bit of research here. So it looked like you have a deal with a couple NBA teams, the Atlanta Hawks, the Washington Wizards, uh, some Division One programs whether it's Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, University of Texas. I mentioned this because obviously any program, any team could use information for their own benefit, their own players, their own ecosystem. This is interesting because this is the first league, right? I, I mean, what we read in this press release, even when I dug into on your website, anything else I could uh, try to find in the lead up here. How does this change things and why is it so beneficial for a league like the XFL is when we're not doing a a one-off on a team or a particular program like we do in maybe some of the the Division One programs? How is this really the right approach? Because we're not seeing it in other, the National Football League, the USFL, whatever else, you know, other, but we're seeing it with this league. Why did it take so long? But yet, why is it so important that this is actually happening now? And how is this going to impact sports moving forward?
0: I really uh, applaud your question because you're thinking about this the right way, Michael. And the the use of our technology across a number of leagues and a number of sports teams has taken time. Um, first of all, you know, we, we have this tremendous data that we have built up with Clinical publications, peer reviewed studies that show the accuracy and efficacy of our technology. We also have FDA clearances that support uh, our use for specifically as an aid to concussion diagnosis. But I think overall, the recognition that concussion is an important issue that needs to be addressed with quantified objective data has emerged over time. And we saw that last year in the XFL. And it takes a progressive orientation to say, I'm going to go to the next level as a a medical leadership team to employ the latest and greatest technology to advance my diagnosis of concussion. But it's happening, and it's happening now around not only the U.S. in pro sports, collegiate sports, and even high school sports with the use of the iSync technology, but it's happening outside of the U.S., where we're used in, in a variety of different sports leagues, ranging from European soccer to rugby. And um, it's, it's really an awakening that's occurring. But I'm going to go one step further. The iSync platform not only can address concussion, it assesses player readiness. And do you have fatigue or cognitive readiness to go at it today? And, you know, you'll be amazed, Michael, that many athletes who are performing at the highest levels may still have ocular motor or vestibular deficits that when addressed can prevent player injury and also optimize player performance. So this platform on not only concussion assessment and recovery, but also this platform for player and athlete readiness for today their job duties in the real world are playing sports at the highest level. And then optimizing their what we call neuroperformance optimization uh, position. In essence, their cognitive readiness is just a breakthrough. And we're really proud and excited to be bringing the technology forward, not only as a concussion di- diagnostic tool, but for a brain health and readiness tool that you can assess, address, and optimize, not only an athlete, but an individual's position and readiness for life. It's it's a breakthrough that, that, frankly, everyone is thinking about these days when they think of brain health and their capabilities and how do I go about doing my job at the highest level. And we have a technology that can help assess and address that.
1: So you keep using the term breakthrough, right? We know that this is more recent years that people are getting on board with this. So maybe the data is there, maybe the data is not. But I would have to think it is. So tell me if I'm wrong. In this short term, where now we have open minds, a willingness to do this, we have technology now wrapping around the ability to identify. Do we have on the opposite end the treatment that protocol, once we have now identified, are we seeing a difference? I mean, Knowing is half the battle. That's what we hear in our life, right, all the time. Knowing anything is an issue or whatever is half the battle. The other half, are we caught up? Are we making a difference here on the concussion front? I mean, we think we are because that's why you're here. But I'm like, where are we? Are, is there still a long way to go? Do we feel like we're just at the you know, the tip of the needle, so to speak? I mean, I know it's another loaded question. That's how I roll here a little bit, Carrie. so my apologies. But... I think this is also questions like, okay, well, we're doing this, Well, where are we in this fight or this battle, so to speak?
0: You've said it so well, Michael, the first, the first element is knowledge and knowledge on the diagnostic front. And that's the foundation of our technologies that relates to concussion. We're giving for the first time, as I mentioned, quantified objective data for healthcare providers to make the right call. That's critical. And as you progress to recovery, you want to assess the player's performance against their own baseline. That is the foundation. But if you look at ocular motor and vestibular challenges, those can be trained and addressed quite capably. And the beauty of the iSync platform is that it is designed to help the medical providers bring those individuals, your top performing athletes, back to not only their normative position, but address specific neuro health deficits that are identified within the platform. So it's a powerful tool and um, it's, uh, it's at the root of what we do and it's at the root of its use in uh, the XFL.
1: Now I am pretty ignorant here, so I might've got lucky with a couple of good questions. so Gary, tell me what I've completely missed here that maybe the, our listeners should know that I just didn't ask.
0: That's a really good question as well. And here's what I would offer. The XFL has taken a, a view that, that they're going to advance their league on so many fronts and, and hold it high as a shining example to the sports world. And and I think to the, to the general population and their use of the iSync technology is a clear example of a league saying, we want to move things forward. We want to address player health and safety, and specifically in the concussion arena, have the latest and greatest technology um, that is backed by 200,000 patient assessments, FDA clearances, 30-plus peer-reviewed clinical studies, and the most precise measurement and analytics available anywhere in the world. And with that, they have made a major step forward in making sure that if there is a suspected concussion that's occurring, their providers, their athletic training team and physicians are equipped to be able to better diagnose it and ultimately advance the players return to play. And that is a breakthrough. And um, that is why we're so excited about our partnership and where we're going to go in the years to come with the XFL.
1: Sounds great. You know, anytime we hear of leagues making improvements or striving to go into essentially uncharted waters, so to speak, it's always so encouraging to know that a league is not just looking at the bottom line. Now, every business, right? You're in business to make money. And we know that time and time again, it doesn't matter what type of industry they're in. But it's just very encouraging to know that somebody is really focused on the player. And I know, you know, this is a XFL podcast, so therefore I I could prop the league up, but it's very encouraging to see this and to see companies like you putting up the good fight for people because, you know, CTE and all that stuff just has been so sad to hear even, you know, people that became role models for children or even young adults as they've kind of, and just kind of see how that's altered those people's lives. So, You know, I want to just commend you and your company for being part of that. And, you know, hopefully this is going to make a massive change as we move forward in the sport and hopefully save the sport that a lot of people love, the sport of football.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, Michael. And, And we're on a mission to help a variety of our customers, and most notably in this case, the XFL, carry forward on a very simple direction and mission, and that is to better assess address, and optimize neural health deficits. And uh, it takes a league that has a vision to do it league-wide overnight, right? And not that it happened overnight. There was a lot of planning. Kerry Gordon and the team did a comprehensive assessment of what should they do to improve concussion. They reached out to us. We've worked with them hand in glove throughout the course of the season with developing the protocol with implementing the baseline assessments and managing the recovery pathway with our technology uh, for a return to play for their players. But it starts with having a mission and the mission to improve player health and safety and use technology to advance it. Most notably, this award winning groundbreaking iSync technology, which has been proven around the world, but to do it league wide. Um, for assess, address, and optimize player health and safety. That is just a remarkable remarkable approach and, and strong leadership to make it happen. And I commend DJ and Danny Garcia and Kerry Gordon and the entire Mark Ross, the entire XFL team who's worked so hard on this, along with the Neurosync team to make it happen this season and for many years to come.
1: Gary, again, thank you. It has been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show, discuss the XFL and Euro-Seek partnership with me. Who knows? Maybe we'll even bump into one another in San Antonio this weekend <laughs> as we can hopefully formally meet in person. So again, thank you.
0: I'll be at the championship and look forward to seeing you, Michael. That's terrific. Before you go
1: though, I always believe is it's beneficial for the listeners that want to learn a little bit more. Where can they go? And learn a little bit more about Neurosync on their own, maybe even follow yourself. Is there any websites, social media platforms that you do so?
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, the Neurosync uh, brand is out there in full display on our website, which is neurosync.health. And uh, as importantly, on all of the social media platforms, happy to uh, welcome direct reach out either via LinkedIn or via our contact us or or on email at at Uh, Welcome uh, hearing from individuals who are excited about learning more about our technology and its groundbreaking elements that can be brought forward to, to many, many uh, individuals throughout the country. You know, it, we always say in our company, start from the heart. And if you start from the heart every day with the mission that we're on to improve the lives of others, you achieve wonderful things. And um and make the world a better place. So that's what we're trying to do. And and I really appreciate the time together today. It's been a, an honor to talk with you and work with the XFL. And we're looking forward to much more to come in the in the years ahead.
1: Perfectly said, Gary. Thank you. We are fortunate to have Gary on the show to hear from a high executive share Neurosync services and how they are applied within the XFL, as well as make it positive strides within the sports ecosystem and improving people's lives is a remarkable thing. It is also reassuring to learn more about the ways the XFL continue to be an innovator within football. As I have also previously mentioned, I will now be joined by contributor Mark Hallbach to preview this weekend's championship game, as well as discuss the Offensive Player of the Year and all XFL teams. Welcome back, Mark. This week, we've got the XFL Championship to preview, as well as discuss the Offensive Player of the Year award, and all XFL teams. So welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you once again, my friend.
2: Well, Michael, we're finally here, you know, what a championship game in, in for the XFL. We've all been waiting years, a few years for this one, you know. So I'm looking forward to to seeing the game. I've got everything scheduled down for that day. So to make sure that uh we are we are ready to roll when that game comes on, you know, and uh I'm looking forward to a, a good battle. So let's we can get to it and talk about it.
1: All right, let's begin with that much anticipated XFL championship game, which includes the South Division champions, the five and six Arlington Renegades and the North Division champions, the 10 and one DC Defenders. XFL fans will have the Alamo Dome rocking on Saturday. I do not doubt it. I'm looking forward to it. There's even a little limbo where my wife might not go now because she's not feeling too hot. So we'll have to see what the week brings. But, folks, that's not what you're here to talk about my wife, whether she's going or not. We're talking about the big game, which obviously the defenders have been the solid team all season long, whereas the Renegades have been that solely defensive team that's made this run possible. However, since acquiring Luis Perez, things seem to be a tad bit different for Coach Stoops and company. You know, I try to dig into some of those numbers, right? I'm like, oh, Luis has made all these changes, right? The office is completely different. Well, yes and no. So, I I mean, just before we dig into the particulars of this game, I want to look into Luis here a little bit. If, if you just bear with me, Mark, I know sometimes I can go on these rambles and he's probably just like, Mike, come on, let's just talk about what matters. But week eight, he got his first game, you know, with the renegades against the guardians. He went 16 of 25, 190 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Week nine was that matchup against the defenders here. Okay. So maybe we could take something a little away from there. He went, 31 of 41, 335 yards, one touchdown, one interception. We look at their Week 10 game against the Roughnecks. We all admit that they probably were holding back a little bit of stuff saving a couple of things for that divisional game, that South Divisional Championship. But looking at that game, 22 of 36, 205 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. So, I mean, even looking at the total, or even break it down by an average, however you want to do it, 69-102 attempts, 730 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, or the average 23-34, of 34, 243 yards, less than a touchdown, and almost an interception per game. I mean, I don't know. That doesn't look like the Louise I was thinking when I was going to dive into the numbers, right? I'm like, oh, it's a completely different team. But, I mean, they did compete. In D.C. with the defenders. So I'm a little intrigued there. Not saying that they have the full blueprint because they didn't pull it out. But it does seem like, hey, they kind of had something that worked. They kind of realized what didn't work. What are you anticipating this Saturday at the Alamo Dome?
2: Well, Luis has definitely solidified the Renegades offense, which is what they've been searching for all year. I think they were searching for somebody behind center and they found it with the, you know, the third or fourth guy that they started. And Luis, I think has brought a very veteran presence to this. I think he's been very good in his career at learning offenses very quickly. And he's probably been in enough offenses where the language probably overlapped a little bit. So he can understand, he understands and can pick up these things. You know, because you go from, you know, being in the AAF to being in, you know, the spring league XFL 2020, and you pick up a lot of things and he is a passionate football player. He's passionate about continuously learning about that position. And Chuck Long has praised him, uh, you know, about how uh, smart he is and his limitations are on the physical side, right? But he hasn't shown that. And what I'm expecting this week is I'm hoping (laughs) obviously for a good game, you know, but at the same time, you know, I think it's going to be a back and forth game. And if Arlington does expect to kind of be in this game, they're going to need a couple explosive plays. And whether those are from the defense or special teams or on offense They're going to need some type of, you know, quick score or deep pass or pick six or a return or a block punt maybe, you know, to kind of even it out here a little bit. I mean, they're, you know, I'm looking at, and don't take me for this again, we're not a betting podcast, right? I'm looking at DraftKings right now and, you know, it's a six and a half point, you know, favorite that the defenders are. So at a neutral site. It seems to be a lot. But at the same time, they've earned it. And we're going to see here if Jordan, uh Tayamu's uh, you know, finger injury has healed. We all know he kind of sat out the, the fourth quarter of the playoff game. You know, I I do think Derek King can lead this team and lead them to a victory, but you know, obviously Jordan is a big impact and the coaches and the you know director of personnel have have praised him, right? So, yeah, everybody was limited, right? So, I saw that too today. You know, Abram Smith was limited. I don't think – so, here's – in my – this is limited in my experience as a coach, okay? How do you say limited? So, basically, they didn't go through individual, okay? But they're dressed. They're ready to go. They're going to go through any walkthrough that they go through or, you know, half-speed stuff so that they have the scheme down, but physically they're saving themselves. Okay. So you're not going to put them through individual drills. You're not going to put them through things. And I don't know what type of practices you have on a Monday, <laughs> you know, for really anyways, right. You're If you're going to be physical, you're going to do it early in the week so that people can kind of get those bumps and bruises healed up before the week. But to me, all that means is they kind of, they were involved, but they weren't you know, running routes or catching passes during individual or, you know, doing blocking drills or anything like that. But once it came to the team being together and they were doing walkthrough and learning the the scheme and doing things, they were involved. Okay. Nothing, probably full speed. So, so a lot of, they were all listed as limited. So I think they're going to be at full strength. I think both teams are going to be, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see how that works out, but, I think his, you know, we're going to find out how that that finger is, but really, I think it'll be fine by by this weekend. And I think that's one of the reasons, personally, my opinion, why the XFL skipped a week before the championship game is so that you can make sure that people are healthy and you get people fresh and you get two weeks to prepare. So I wouldn't doubt you see Arlington maybe do some things that they haven't done before who's going to have the first championship game double pass. That's the biggest thing I want to know who scheme that up for a big play. But if DC gets up early and gets up, you know, by about three possessions, you know, two and a half, three possessions, I don't think the renegades are going to be tooled enough to be able to, um, you know, come back. So it's going to be important for the renegades to, to keep close. And, it's gonna be important for the defenders to get off to a good start, you know, and and to kind of try and get ahead so that the Arlington has to play from behind a little bit because that's a little harder for them. I think when you you know, you know how good of a passer you are or how good of a quarterback you are, when everybody in the building knows you have to throw the ball. And in order to move in the ball or to score, everybody in the building knows you're gonna throw the ball. That's when we're gonna see you know how good you really are, so it's going to be a good game. San Antonio, I hope, is coming out to, to support it, and um, you know, I'm looking forward to it as well.
1: So, when I'm thinking of this game, both defenses have been lights out essentially all year, right? That's literally how Arlington got here, their defense has. Good teams, bad teams, kept them in things, you know, kept it so they could just win a game by 10, 12 points when they needed to. Or just keep them right in there by a point or two, losing to even the big team. So the defense somehow, even if they went up 30 points, has still been a big factor. Was snagged turnovers the last time they played DC, right? A couple interceptions, whatever. I know that not all turnovers are the same, and we have discussed this, but I think if they want to stay in this game, they're probably going to need one or two, whether they're big ones or not. But even if it's just enough to end a drive, right, just to keep points off the board against themselves. So I think sometimes the turnover could be huge just in that case, that it, you know, took the team off. Of the. Even if you don't turn around and go score and change the momentum with it. But if it just helps to manage the time, the clock in a way that it's not stuck, no, they're not stacking points up against you. I think that could be a beneficial turnover as well. So I think the Renegades are going to need that. We know that that defender's defense is just a nightmare for any offense going against it. But here's the thing: I kind of look at this last time. Devion Smith still had 43 yards against that defense, and we keep saying anything from 40 to 60 yards is a good day. Well, Devion Smith has also had some pretty decent games—90 some yard game recently and whatnot. He's listed on their injury report, but he's a full participant. So he's not even like limited. And there's two guys that did not practice Shakira Brown, defensive back, and then Ronnell Hall, a wide receiver. Those are the only two people of e- either team that did not participate at practice, but neither one of them, you know, or what I would say are the focal points, right? You're going to need, I'm saying Shakira Brown could probably obviously Play a, a role in that defense. Everybody plays a role in that defense, but when it really comes down to it, you're going to need Devontae Smith because it's going to have to keep that balance. Keep that balance. You keep saying if you're in the playoffs, you got to have a balance. So the key here for the Arlington is whether or not Devontae Smith is having a day, a productive day. Not that it doesn't have to be the type of day that Abraham Smith had early in the year that was over 200 yards rushing. We're talking about a productive day. That's keeping enough of the load off from Luis Perez, but it's also helping to open up the pass offense, right? So if we're going to look at this, who is the key guy in my opinion for the renegades to have any success? Devion Smith.
2: Well, yeah, I would agree. The last last time they played, right? The Arlington did have some balance to their offense. Okay. Without uh, Luis Perez, rushing yards and that they had 98, which kept them balanced. Sometimes you can still how do I put it? The production of being balanced might not matter depending on how the defense is played. But I think this is what the defenders have learned about the new what we're going to call the the new renegade, <laughs> renegade offense is that they're they are possibly explosive. OK, and they proved that last week that they can make big plays and, and have that explosive play in the passing game. And I think what Seattle did was, you know, they watched you watch all of the year's film and you're like, they can't throw the ball deep. They got nobody, you know, really, that's making big plays other than Canella Let's take Canella out of the game and let's play the run. And they got beat, you know, on some shot plays. But now the Renegades have shown in their hands that they can do that. OK, so. Greg Williams goes back then to the drawing board and says, okay, we can't just sit here and play the run all day and and think that, you know, and have them say, beat us pass wise. Cause they just beat the other team passing game. And Luis had a pretty good game the last time they played pretty productive game. So he is going to try and rattle Luis Perez. It's it third down zero coverage coming at you and coming at you early. They're going to try and frustrate them like they do everybody, right? With that blitz and their man defense and their zero coverage, you know, and just send the house and we'll see what happens. I mean, we'll see, you know, sometimes the best way to beat that is you, you dodge the rush and you, and you, you take off. So let's see if Luis can get a couple first downs with his feet or, you know, and, and that could be a five yard run, right? You know, it doesn't have to be a 20 yard run by him. But it's moving the chains when they're sending people. Do the Renegades have an answer to that. And that's going to be big to this game. Because they can try and do play action. But if you're doing play action against zero coverage and they're coming after your early downs, that's hard to do. But Greg Williams is, is really good in what he did against Seattle. He mixed it up really well against Seattle. But then all of a sudden, he just frustrated them with the man coverage and got to him. And that's probably a little bit of what they're going to do early on. They're going to kind of sit back and say, Hey, we'll keep everything in front of us. But then on third down, we're coming at you and you better have a play ready to go. Yeah. You know, and let's see if the Renegades can beat that. So it's going to be interesting. They're going to, the Renegades are going to have to have good success on first and second down. If you ask me, because third down and, or they got to get explosive plays when they're coming at them on third
0: down. (laughs) So
1: What the Renegades cannot do is fall back into that habit of not scoring and just kicking field goals. I know points matter. I know that the conversions matter, right? You have preached game in, game out, all season long how converting is going to make the difference and being smart enough to identify what point of a conversion you need to do and not just getting anything. We know that, but, I mean, I think it's also going to come down to this is a championship. Conservative ball. Sometimes it's just going to take the air out of it. You're, you're going to do it out of yourself, right? I think Coach Stoops and company, and this is who I'm looking at who has been conservative. I just think at some point you've gotten here, you know, that monkey's off the back, all that chatter It doesn't matter. You're five and six. You've got a losing record you just got to play for the victory and it's not don't play not to lose you got to play for the victory so i i'm hoping like you said we have a good game ahead of us but at the same time don't fall back into conservative ways you have luis luis can manage the game let him manage it don't be too conservative it sounds like i'm probably dragging this out right it's a preview it's you know the, the championship game and it needs to be talked about more. but i'm like I, i'm trying to identify the things that could also go wrong here, and it's only really on the renegade side because the defenders really haven't shown us much of what they do wrong. Yeah, they've had a couple things back and forth. Go back to the, the matchup uh, against the Renegades earlier in the year. E.B. Smith only had 27 yards rushing, but he only had 10 attempts. The team as a whole only had 50 yards rushing on 20 attempts as a whole. But I can't imagine it's going to be the case again, like especially after Abram in the last game was talking, I just want the ball. Like you said, in big games, these type of players want to be able to contribute. So I can't imagine you're only going to run the ball with Abram Smith 10 times. So I think they better be prepared for that as well because I don't think they're going to be conservative in any way. And I think they're going to let their horses run, let them out of the stable, so to speak.
2: Yeah, they definitely you know, now's not the time to be conservative. Now, early on in the game, I think you're going to see both teams kind of feel each other out a little bit, see what's kind of going on and and see if they thought, "Okay, yeah, this is what we thought was going to happen is happening or oh my god, they're going to they're good doing this. We we need to change what we what we planned on doing." So, we'll definitely see kind of a little bit I think Early on, maybe halfway through the first quarter, kind of going back and forth, but the defenders have not slowed down, right? I think I feel like they've been on the, you know, especially offensively, they've been on the gas and they have not slowed down the whole year. So unfortunately, hopefully they're not due for a clunker. I mean, sometimes you just do, right? And hopefully not, you know, in the championship game. I think one of the things that, you know, we talk a lot of offense here on the podcast, just because that's my background, and I talk a lot of offense. But the Arlington defense has been the one steady thing item and the one guarantee thing that you've had with them. But the defenders in their matchup were able to move the ball up and down and score points. So it's really going to be interesting to to see the chess match go on between these two coaches and between these coordinators. Cause that's what it's going to be. And someone's going to go out and make plays too, right? Sometimes the play doesn't look perfect. The pass isn't going to be perfect. Um, So you're going to have to make plays. So I think it's going to, you know, the Renegades defense has been very good and very good versus the run throughout the year. Uh, don't be surprised if defenders may lean on the pass, just because of the fact that they're playing in the, you know, with the RPO, it's going to, the read is going to tell you to throw the ball. So it's going to be imperative that the offensive player of the year play like the offensive player of the year, and I have no doubt that he's capable of doing that in a big stage. So
1: I know we're a couple of days behind because they announced it on Friday, and it is now Monday. Do you just throw the cat out of the bag of our next discussion? Just a good segue, in. right? Yeah, great segue. So I was going to say, last week we discussed the coach of the year, defensive player of the year, special teams player of the year. And, of course, the day after we recorded, the league announced D.C. Defenders quarterback Jordan Tiamu as Offensive Player of the Year. Okay, all right. We recorded even later than typical, Mark, right? Because of everything going on, you're a team player, and I'm gracious for that. But, I mean, hey, you still missed the Offensive Player of the Year announcement. We're still going to talk about it. What are your thoughts on Tiamu winning this honor?
2: Well first off Michael the first thing is is anytime there are uh, awards and competitiveness and and things like that there are always going to be people that are left out okay good great players are going to be left out okay great players don't win MVP awards sometimes right so my thoughts on this is is <laughs> great for Jordan i mean after coming from the USFL and having maybe what we call an average Season, I'd call it an average, I wouldn't call it subpar, i call it average season in the USFL. Coming back to the XFL, getting into an offense that plays to his strengths, maybe not showing in the first couple of games his passing ability, but then all of a sudden it started coming out. And honestly, he is a very difficult player to defend. And that's what I think won him the award. I think, you know, this is again, voted on by coaches and player personnel and coaches probably went, who's the most difficult person to defend in this league or prepare for. And they probably all went, oh, Team, you know, and there are people that, you know, this could have went to, <laughs> I would have been fine with it going to Pearson. I would have been fine. AJ McCarron, Denucci. I'm probably missing somebody there too, Right. Abram Smith, maybe even, you know, this could have went to four or five different players. So picking this award is very difficult to do, but I think Jordan had a great season. He's led this team without a doubt, and he has shown that he can beat you both ways, right? So neither stat box comes out really, you know, passing yards aren't astronomical or rushing yards aren't, but he's balanced, right? He's the heart, but total there he's picking up yardage and making plays. And here's where I think he may have won the award a little bit more. And I know that Derek King sometimes comes in, in this situation and he did early on in the season. And I was like, what wow, what's kind of going on here is in the conversions. He's so difficult to, one of the hardest things to do on the, you know, within the five yard line is defend quarterback runs. Okay. And when you have threat of a quarterback run, You have to defend it. And I think he just converted their conversion rate on two points is, I don't even have the numbers in front of me. And I feel like it's, it's very, it's top notch of the league. So I think that's hard, you know, that's where people, it's very hard to defend him when you get close to that goal line. And he's shown that and he's accurate, you know, throwing it out to the backs and throwing it out to you know, the tight ends and, and uh, he started using his receivers more as the season got better. And we talked about it early in the year, right? If DC was winning games and he wasn't even playing his best ball. And then all of a sudden he started playing his best ball. And it was just like, Hey, he's this guy's tearing it up. So I think we're, you know, as spring football fans, we're rooting for Jordan, right? We, we like Jordan. We want him to think he's been a great spring football player, and he brings excitement to the game. I think he deserves it. But like I said, this could have went to, you know, four or five different players. And and I went to, I went to said, oh, you know, Jordan would have got it. Or just like I'm saying, hey, somebody else should have got it. It could have went to some of those and I, I would have been fine with it. I think there's always a, a few people that with an award like this, that, you know, deserve it or, but you got to pick somebody, right? I'm sorry, I'm Gen X okay, it's not everybody gets a trophy time, okay? It's pick somebody and move on, and it's voted, and it's voted by the, everybody who voted on all the other awards, so so congratulations to, to Jordan Tiamu on, on winning that, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing him in the championship game.
1: I am also Generation X. I'm at the very tail end of it, but I am Generation X, folks, so we'd even get a different Taste of a no mindset here. I'm also of the firm believer that only one trophy is given, and I know there's a lot of participation out there, but this is this is not one of them, it's only one guy can win it. But I thought there would be four people up for this award, obviously. You know, we talk about three quarterbacks all the time Jordan, Karen, Danucci, and obviously Abram Smith. So I thought there was four people, but going into this, before I really started digging in anything, before we got started. I'm like, you know, Tom was number four to me. I was thinking the whole time Tom was number four. But, you know, I'll explain to you why I thought that, and I'll explain to you why I have walked it back and come to a different conclusion. When you look at the the passing, I knew it was going to be a quarterback. It's the guy that handles the ball the most, right? We knew it was going to be a quarterback. So I'm sorry, Abram, you actually got relegated to four because you were a running back. And it's not a shot at you, it's just, it's just the reality. It's not the sexiest position. It's the quarterback. Sorry. But looking at passing, Danucci's ranked number one in the league. Played the 10 games. So if we want to talk about the one statistic, that matters. 10 games. Played all 10 games, right? 2,671 yards. He had a 64.7% completion percentage. 20 passing touchdowns. But Karen was second. 9 games, so he didn't play all 10. But 2,150 yards. 68.8% completion percentage. 24 passing touchdowns. Diamond was third. 10 games played. Again, important statistic is being able to be counted for, right, and be able to be dependable for your team. 1,894 yards. 62.4% completion percentage. 14 touchdowns. So when I started looking at this, I'm like, oh, this is even falling in line to what I was thinking, right? Because even when you go over to the rushing statistics, go down there, number seven's Taiomu Ooh, that looks pretty good. But guess who is number six? Danucci DiNucci had him beat by seven yards. Not a whole lot. And they were tied for three rushing touchdowns apiece. So that continued to add to this, all right, well, it looks like it's Danucci in my mind where it changed for me, where it completely changed. Go back to passing. It's the turnovers. Danucci had 13 interceptions. Taoma only had three. At some point it's not just the good that you can see, the, the highlight reel. At some point it's also, are you taking care of the ball? And that is probably the difference, the biggest difference, and not to take a shot at DiNucci and the Seattle Sea Dragons at all. But I think that is where the difference really is here as to why all the coaches, all the directors of player personnel, all chose, or I won't say all, that's probably, it's too definitive, right? The majority of them went with Dorontamu. Because he actually took care of the ball. He kept the team, you know, winning nine regular season games. Another one. Now here, they're in the championship. I think that's the difference maker. So in the end, I came around to, yes, it's Jordan Ta'amu. I know it's hard to think. The guy I thought was fourth took care of the ball, took care of his team. and In the grand scheme of things, he's your offensive player of the year. For better or for worse, folks, that's the reality of it.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, when you're, when you're going off of statistics, right? I think that's a fair argument. You know, Danucci is up there in rushing yards as well. A lot of those are scrambling yards. Okay. Whereas Jordan's a lot are going to be a little bit more on designed run pass options. Okay. Where he's keeping the ball. So that goes back to asking coaches and defensive coordinators and and head coaches on who gives you the biggest issue, you know, who gives you the most issues on on a weekly basis. And that's where I think that kind of came in. So I'm impressed with the season Danucci had. I mean, he was in a definitely pass heavy offense and he, they got better and better as the year went on as well. But what's pretty impressive is (laughs) AJ McCarron's twenty-four touchdowns in nine games.
1: (laughs) I know we didn't talk about him enough, but I do Uh, think he was also one-dimensional, and it doesn't. And I think there's always those two knocks against him. Played nine games, came back the one game wasn't quite himself, right? I think those are images that people just have burnt that are pretty recent and they did not make the playoffs. I mean, those are things that definitely get factored in, whether we want to admit it or not. They had a great season at 7-3, but those are are real situations that hindered him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't have a... You wouldn't name an MVP in the in basketball or, or in football that didn't make the playoffs, at least, right? Um, at least I haven't seen it in recent history. Now, it may have happened in the past, but you haven't seen it in recent history. But, I mean, they all had great years. It, and, and like I said, they're all deserving of the award. It, like I, I wouldn't have been mad if any of them got it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to give it to somebody. And uh, best team. Best record got, you know, I always say, what do I always say? It's better to get hot late than it is early. The offenders have been hot all year. (laughs) So, I mean, now he got hotter later (laughs) as the year went on, but the the team has been just, uh, you know, uh, very hot, uh, you know, all years. So hopefully they'll continue that into the championship game a little bit. But yeah, I think they're all deserving. I think they all had statistics that hop out you know and uh but at the end of the day it's hey who's who's the hardest person to prepare for and who gives you the biggest fits and i think it's him and i think just again being in at the five yard line for two points i mean there's no other person i would want right now under center than than him and what a what a great story for him to come back to this league and have success you know after a average season you know, in the uh, in the USFL last year.
1: We'll move on and we'll talk about what dropped earlier today. The league named its 2023 all XFL teams. So we'll just start with the sexy side of the ball. We'll go ahead and start with the offensive side. That's what Mark likes to talk about, anyways. What he knows, right, folks? So let's just give it to him. Let's not make him wait for it. We'll just get it out of the way, and then we'll have to know struggle through the rest if you will i'm just kidding i'm just
2: kidding. you would think as a offensive coach you know defense you you wind up watching more defense right because you're preparing that's what you're studying and preparing for you know you would think i'd you know talk a little bit more about it yeah you know but i try to bring it up and give people credit for it and and um, we've talked about, I think I've been, you know, uh, uh above average today on my defensive talk, you know, so, we'll, but we'll, we'll start with the offense.
1: We have a, another whole side of the ball to talk about. So you're going to talk about defense a little bit more, but we'll start with the offense. Like you said. So bear with me, folks. I have butchered names before, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher several more for this episode, but the quarterback surprise, surprise, or no surprise at all. Jordan Tomo from DC defenders. And one lone running back on the the offensive side here, we have Abram Smith of D.C. Defenders. No surprise to me. We have four wide receivers, Dante Burnett of the Houston Roughnecks, Hakeem Butler of the St. Louis Battlehawks, Lucky Jackson of the D.C. Defenders, and Ja'Cour Pearson of the Seattle Sea Dragons. Tight end, the lone tight end being Cody Latimer of the Orlando Guardians. Then on the offensive line, we have guard Liam Fornadell of the DC Defenders. We have guard Steven Gonzalez of the St. Louis Battlehawks. Offensive tackle, we have Jared Jones Smith of the St. Louis Battlehawks. We also have offensive tackle Colin Kelly of the Seattle Sea Dragons and center Alex Moline. I don't know, hey, of the Houston Roughnecks. And also center Mike <laughs> Panazusic of the St. Louis Battlehawks. Now, Technically, there was an asterisk. Anybody that had read the press release will see that anybody that came in a a tie, they give it to both players. So if they tied, that's how we have, I think in some cases, probably more receivers and probably a second center on the team. But either way, looking at this list, and I'm sure we could tear it apart, any list we can always tear it apart, because now there's multiple names, not just one or two. Looking at this list, what are your thoughts on the all-offense team?
2: So the the first thing that stands out to me, we're going to start in the trenches. All right, let's give the O-line the love that deserve, okay? It's um, that the Battlehawks had three O-linemen on this stands out. Um, It shows that uh, they really emphasize this, you know, really went and got players on that side of the ball. The other thing that stands out is that out of the offensive linemen, there are six of them. Five of them are from the North. Okay. One lineman, offensive lineman from the South. What division was stronger during the case of the year? Well, no doubt the North, the North, no doubt. That's a reflection of this award. The offensive line Here's a speech when I coached offensive line that I gave every year. Okay. And I, um, I gave this to a local high school team the other year too. I said, the first thing I do is I kind of stand up in front of them. They really don't know who I am. They just know I, you know, coach college ball. And if money was in an option, you know, what kind of car would you want to drive? Money wasn't an option. What do young kids say? Right. Porsche, Lamborghini. You know, some want the big truck, mud running truck. Depends if they're a country guy or not, right? But they want these, you know, high performing cars. And I said, so what kind of engine do those cars have? They're pretty precise. They're pretty high running. They cost a lot of money. (laughs) And they're precise and high running, right? Even the mud runner, hey, it's got to take the punishment and keep going. So. The offensive line is the engine that makes the offense go. So I ask them, what kind of car do you want this offense to be? Do you want it to be a Chevy Chevette <laughs> or do you want it to? No, no offense to Chevy. Sorry. It's just in case they want to sponsor us. Um, but, <laughs> or do you want to be a Lamborghini or Porsche or the big truck that you, you need to perform? And, you know, and they get it. And that's what you preach all year long is, hey, you're the engine that makes it go. And if you're not going, the offense ain't going. So it just you know, kind of shows you offensive line. And you'll see that in the NFL too. And, and offensive linemen are hard to find size-wise, physical-wise, <laughs> and they are impressive athletes because they are huge people <laughs> that can move. <laughs> so when you find good ones they they're hard to keep and and uh they definitely do a lot. So anyways, there's my my plug to the old line. Sorry, that probably was way more than anybody asked for. But that's what stands out to me. Now, when it comes to skill players, again, there there are a lot of people that could be on this list. And if there was a second team, that would be great too, right? Uh, you know, first team, second team, but again, you know, somebody's got to get the award and we got to move on. This is a professional football league. Jaquan Pearson, I'm glad to see on this list. I'm so happy he is on this list. He earned it. He played so much. He opened up that that offense. You know, you saw kind of Josh Gordon. I know we put up astronomical numbers, but, you know, he got a little bit more open when Jaquan or Pearson started to, you know, people were like, oh my God, we got to, this guy can take it from, you know, 10 yards to the house, you know. So I was happy to see him on there. Um, Obviously, Abram Smith. I mean, there there was no doubt on the running back, I think, here uh, a little bit just because of the workload that they – I think a lot of other teams are spreading that workload around a little bit more. And then Cody Latimer. He was another guy that when he got the ball in the open field, man, that guy could fly, right, for the size that he is. Yeah, I mean, I like the guys on this list. I – there's, there's nobody. I'm sitting here screaming, hey, they should be on this list, right? But what I like about this is, is the O line finally starts to get a little bit more recognition. This is huge for those guys because there's not an O lineman of the Year award, right? Um, so this is, this is it for them. So congratulations to all these players. But really, um, I'm, I'm not screaming or yelling that anybody should be on this but uh there obviously there's players that, that could be but um uh, i'm happy with what they what they came out with
1: right i don't want to bash i don't want to act like they got this wrong because i like you said the head coaches director of player personnel everyone that's watched everything everyone that's any tape to prepare all that they know who the headache were they know who delivered so to speak so I, I don't want to do that really but i mean when i got to look at where I think some people may have been left off, right? Again, some people are going to win it, and some people are going to not make it. I, I'm i going to look at the wide receivers. I, I also feel like maybe there should be another running back, but, you know, I'm not going to split hairs on that. Maybe they did it clear-cut one, and obviously, Abraham Smith was just so head and shoulders above everybody that he got it. But going back to the wide receivers here, you know, I see Dante Burnett, it's not a name that. Just jumped off, you know, the list to me that should, you know, as yeah, he should be there. Right. I mean, I, I get it. He's tied for what second in touchdowns. So, I mean, if you look at that, but I mean, if you're looking, who else had six touchdowns? Dewan Green of the Seattle Sea Dragons. He also had more receiving yards. He also played all 10 games Or Dante Burnett only played nine. They both made it to the postseason, right? So I'm not, it's not like one guy that helped lead this team, you know. So when I look there, I'm like, okay, did Green get a snub? Possibly, right? I mean, there's a, a case there for Green that he probably should have been just as deserving. But here's a guy I know that didn't play long, Kirkland. I think that's a guy, despite of what only five games was it, I got to run down. Yes, five games. It's four touchdowns in five games. I'm not saying he would have kept that pace and ended with eight by the end of the regular season, but we saw a drastically different offense without him. It's not to take a shot at Brandon Silvers or anybody in the Roughnecks. It kind of makes you okay. I get he wasn't there, availability wasn't there, but he's a guy that probably would have been here. He's a guy that deserves a conversation, and I know I, I'm probably out on an island all by myself, and that's okay. Sometimes it's, you know, a hot take. If you want it to be a hot take, not that I think that it's that hot, but I mean, just you know, what are your thoughts there? I won't get into anybody else. I think it's clear cut. Offensive player of the year is going to be the quarterback. So you can argue any of the quarterbacks, but I'm not. We already debated that enough already about that award. So I mean, looking anywhere else, I just get receivers. And that's the opportunity that I see for a couple of the guys that kind of missed out.
2: Yeah. I think, I think you're, you definitely have a case for Jawan green. I think um, you could numbers wise. He's up there. Right. I mean, so, I mean, if, if you would flip one for the other, I don't think anybody would, would be, you know, banging down the, the, the door saying that, that that's incorrect. You know, again, the numbers say part of what a player is. Right? Do people rotate their coverage a little bit more towards Burnett? You know, was he more? Was his name brought up more in defensive meetings of somebody? Hey, we got to stop. So that's where sometimes the numbers. The you know you get a list and you, and they see the numbers and then you know you kind of okay. Um, but who did you have to stop more? But I think you have a, a very, very solid case. Because if Green's on this list, no argument for me, I'm, I'm not going to bend down the wall saying that Burnett didn't earn it. I think he has. But we just don't know what coaches and player personnel are saying behind the scenes. And no matter what, sometimes there can be a little bias. Maybe a personnel person really liked Burnett. And you know, didn't get an opportunity to draft him, but remembered him from from that and said, Yeah, I really like this guy. And and I feel like so he I feel like he he, he earns that a little bit more. But yeah, I, I think you got a case because even Green, you know, when it came to explosive plays, right, had quite a few more than than Burnett. So I mean, yeah, you could definitely flip those and, and you like I said, you wouldn't get in an argument, but we just don't know what people are saying week to week, you know, on who we have to stop and, and who's more dangerous.
1: Well, I think that last point of yours is exactly why he did not get it. Because Ja'Core Pearson and Josh Gordon, I think he was the third receiver looked at as the concern. And that probably led to him getting the ball a little bit more and a little bit more opportunity to you know, I hate to use the term pad the stats because he didn't go out there padding stats. But, I mean, it gave him the opportunity to put up some stats. So, I mean, like that's probably it. That last part you mentioned, he probably was the third receiving option that they were concerned with, which just meant that he wasn't front and center in this discussion. So, I mean, that's probably fairly, that's what it is. Sorry, Green. I thought you put up a decent enough year, and you're right. Statistics are only part of it, but the other part is, you know, somebody was going to get the ball if the other two guys are really focused on. So, Green, you right. know what? You get an honorable mention in my book. We'll, we'll put it that way. There Hold you on. go. There you <laughs> go. But, you know, I mean, looking at the offense, I'm not really a big offensive line guy, so it's kind of tough for me to dig into all the statistics or how you really evaluate those guys. Cody Latimer, I think, was a – Diamond in the rough, or let's say the lone spotlight for the Guardians until Dormity came along and changed the things. But, you know, that that was kind of a rough season there for a bit until that ship kind of started to get corrected. But, you know, otherwise, yep, no argument for me. So let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I said, we're going we're gonna to make Mark talk about defense here
2: a little bit more, folks. We are, yeah. That's right.
1: So looking at the defensive team, again, bear with me as I butcher some names. We have defense line Drew Beasley from the San Antonio Brahmas. We have defensive lineman Davin Bellamy from the DC Defenders. We have defensive lineman Austin Follow from the uh, Seattle Sea Dragons. And then the defensive lineman Jack Heffen from the Houston Roughnecks. Defensive lineman Devontae Lambert of the Arlington Renegades. And defensive uh, Kevion Payton from the Orlando Guardians. And also one more defensive lineman, Delante Scott from the San Antonio Brahmas. Now shifting into the linebackers, we have Trent Harris, the sack leader for the Houston Roughnecks. We got Peta Penu with the Vegas Vipers, who was the defensive player of the year. We also have Jordan Williams of the San Antonio Brahmas, who was the other Brahma player I was going to mention last uh, last episode. For uh, you know that probably could have made the shortlist for that award. And then we'll move on to defensive backs. We have Dante Anderson of the Vegas Vipers. We have Luke Barku of the San Antonio Brahmas. We have Eugene Harris, the Houston Roughnecks, and we have uh, Lavert Hill of the St. Louis Battlehawks. And lastly, Michael Joseph of the DC Defenders. Looking at this list, who was the camp misses? Who were the? I'm shocked. I'm can't believe so and so is not there. Who 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 is it, Mark?
2: I don't know about uh, the who's aren't there uh, yet. <laughs> I'll, uh, we'll talk about that, but let's let's start in the secondary uh, first. Here, we'll start on the opposite. You know, we started in the trenches on the offense. We'll start, uh, you know, the back half of the defense here. So, a lot of times, a defensive back, when you don't hear his name, it's a really good thing. Okay, it means footballs aren't being thrown his way or he's making a pass breakup or he's just making a tackle. But a lot of times it's because things aren't being directed his way because people are looking for where he's at. Okay. So there's a couple, I, I thought Barcoa, I I saw him, I, you know, obviously, and um you know, he, he was, uh, I think he really wanted to shut down Josh Gordon, right? Because everybody wanted to, as a corner one-on-one do that so that they could say like, yeah, I, belong in the NFL I shot you know I shut down Josh Gordon you know so everybody gave Josh Gordon their best game <laughs> okay after that game you were like okay <laughs> you didn't hear his name a lot right because they not going his way you you look for matchups and you're like hey that guy can cover so so I think that's a good thing sometimes on the defensive side when you when you're not hearing a defensive back's name it's because he's they're not going his way they're avoiding him right? I think you you have that in Barcoa and Aji Harris and Devante Anderson and LaVert Hill. Like all of those guys, like their, their names weren't blaring over the TV all the time at you. Joseph's was, <laughs> but for good reasons, right? Right time, right place guy. And he's got good hands. Okay. And if there's one thing um, you lose more games from dropped interceptions than you think you do. Because if you get those, you're you're turning the ball over. You're giving your offense a short field. We saw him early on, flashy, couple pick sixes. He deserves that award for that. However, every once in a while, you did see, you know, and the DB is going to get burned, right? You know, never seen anybody play a perfect game, right? I've never seen a perfect coach game, and I've never seen a perfect good ref game. So every once in a while, is going he. But that's also Greg Williams' defense. So he fits that defense, right? So I think it's good when you don't hear DB's name because unless they're making interceptions or if you're hearing their name, it's because they're committing penalties too. <laughs> and holding, like, it's hard being a DB in professional football. It is hard. You have to be honestly the best athlete. First of all, you start out moving backwards <laughs> most of the time. Second of all, you can't touch the person past five yards. You can't, you got to time it, right? You you know, the receiver can kind of, you know, nudge you a little bit more than you can nudge him. So these are really, really good athletes. And 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 these guys, you know, obviously are going to see at least, you know, an invite, right? Because these guys are hard to find too. Okay. So Trent Harris, no surprise there, Right. No surprise. He, he was probably second in defensive player of the year. Pitta obviously deserves it as well. Delonte Scott, I'm, I'm happy to see him on here. He was a force. He was in. The, now, when you see, here's the opposite thing. You want to hear D lineman names now and <laughs> linebacker names. That means they're making tackles. That means they're, they're pressuring people. They're making plays. So these are the names you want to hear. Right. This is opposite than being a DB. But when he turned it on, he could he could run with the best of them. And really what was impressive with him, I, I thought, was was he would go after the balls well a lot. I'm glad to see Jack Heflin on this list. Jack was with the Packers for a while. So I'm glad to see him on this list because he he is the anchor. Uh he did have the one game where I think he he may have gotten disqualified for hit for punching somebody, but you know, he, he was an anchor in there, very good player. So, I mean, he's on the fringe, right. Of being an NFL player. And uh, I think he'll, he'll get, an, he's going to get another chance again, big people who can move and that are strong and that can stay healthy are hard to find. So that, and then, you know, um, allow you Austin. I, I, I butchered that name now. Right. It's just an anchor, right? I preached about Seattle's, you know, defense, uh, about how they were underrated. You couldn't run the ball because of this guy. Uh, You know, it was very difficult to block. You had to make sure two people were there and he was very good at taking on two people. So, and then Drew Beasley, you know, San Antonio, (laughs) I mean, they got four players on on this, you know, you know, they, they got represented the most here, which is impressive, you know, just, it shows where their deficiency was, which is on the offense, which maybe if Jack Cohn had a few more weeks, they would have kept moving forward a little bit there. But yeah, I mean, who's left off of this list, Michael, Who argument do we have to kind of say, Hey, maybe you should get an honorable mention here. I
1: can't lie. I do have a list. It's a short list, but I do have a list. Okay. I I'm will, counting on lie. you. Yeah. I know. I know. This is, this is, you can count on me to uh
2: i'm gonna start with one player okay please do and if he played 10 games he'd be on this list i think donald Payne would be on this list if he played 10 games um how many games did
1: he have
2: he had eight so he was out for the last two games and then came back for the playoff game and i felt like that was a little bit of a difference in that playoff game too so he kind of uh, he kind of solidifies that front seven there, and, and is able to really, really run people down from sideline to sideline. So, I think if he had ten games, I think I think Donald Payne would be on there. He had eight. I get why he's not, but that's my one honorable mention there. I think
1: <laughs> I did not have him on my list, so maybe that's my own shortcoming. Okay, <laughs> I have two. The omission of St. Louis Battlehawks linebacker Travis Feeney there does not sit right with me. I mean, I looking back on his season, he had the following. I know nine games played again. We could talk about that as a statistic. He had 32 tackles, 24 solo, eight assisted, five sacks, nine tackles for a loss among the, the leaders in that category, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries. I mean, just looking at that, and I know watching any game and heck I mean I hate to use other people you know I thought the world of him and just listen to Tom Lugenbill who was on the episode not too long ago he kind of thought that might have been one of his defensive player of the years and you know it's kind of interesting I didn't put him in my list when we talked about that last week when we talked about that that particular award but the reality is I did expect him to be on here and that's a shock to me now Are you asking me who I take out? I mean, that's not always easy because there's only three of them listed there. And all three of those guys were in my discussion for Defensive Player of the Year. When we talked about this last week, oh, I'm sorry. I did not mention Jordan Williams. I said there was one more San Antonio promise player. It was Jordan Williams. So I did not mention. So correction. But the reality is I did not bring Travis in there. I just wonder if there should have been a fourth. That's, you know, and I wonder if somehow in the voting, they had X amount of numbers and defensive lines were too many tied positions where that may have hurt guy like Traps. Now it doesn't guarantee he would have got in, but I think that's one of them. My other player is defensive back Joe Powell of the Arlington Renegades. He recorded the following. He played in 10 games, 35 tackles, 25 solo, 10 assisted, four interceptions. Now, I think I'm giving him a little bit more credit someplace else you're not looking defensively. So I feel like he also should get some credit for work he also did in the return game because he returned 17 punts, averaging 8.6 yards per return. Now, I know that probably should not be factored in here, but I think this is a player that did enough for his team, which was a defensive team, and he contributed for 10 games in the season. I think he should have been there. Now, I mean, are you asking me who I'd taken out? That gets very tough because, like, you brought up a very good point that I didn't really kind of dive into. If you don't hear somebody's name, that's probably a good thing, right? So it's kind of tough to yeah. It's yeah, not just the statistics. Need- it's just enough to keep somebody from throwing the ball that way. So yep. that's tough to pull somebody away. So it would be wrong for me to start pointing at names because that's, that's just something that is so right. Because it's right. if you could put somebody on an island, they can't even get the ball over there. It's not about pass deflections. It's not about interceptions. It's just actually, he's locked up. I'm not even going to throw it that way. So, yeah. yeah,
2: you're right. I mean, otherwise, you know, like, you know, Revis and all those guys, uh, you know, they, Sanders, you know, the, back in the day. And those guys wouldn't be all pro if stats, right? Because nobody went that way. <laughs> What's interesting, you know, just to note, Delonte Scott did play eight games. Okay. And and he's on the list. So I don't think people were like, I think maybe if it was close, it was like, okay, maybe, you know, he, he, he did that. Alante Scott, you, he jumped off the screen at you. You know, you, you saw him making plays like that. He, you Remember know, that
1: discussion? Yeah. That's guys. He, he was a beast. So I agree you, with you. Eight you games know, or not, he made a difference.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, if he played five, I'd have an argument with it, but eight, you know, that's good because you, you just injuries are out of your control, right? I mean, they are, so I mean, yeah, it's tough. I mean, these lists are these are they're hard, and that's why they're vote they're voted about those those guys that watch day right and and the coaches and the the player personnel people who are evaluating and 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 game planning and and doing everything you know, so that's kind of why it it's voted on by them. I feel, and not by maybe their peers. it would have been interesting to see a peer vote in a lot of this, but you know at the end of the day, you know it's easier to tally you know what sixteen votes <laughs> than it is anything else and um than it is all those players right so um, but at the same time yeah there's there's people that are on this list that that aren't um but again, it's close, right. I mean, it's very close. And if they were on it, somebody else, we'd probably be. Argue, you know, you could argue the other way. So, but congratulations to all of them. I think this is a great, great mention for them. And uh, I hope we're not going to be uh, skipping the last, the last segment here. You know, of, of where we're at. Of
1: this the is the sexiest. Teams. Yeah, the this sexiest is side of the ball. This, this is, is what everyone has been waiting for, Mark, and you and I. But I know everyone else as well.
2: Right. I mean, the easiest job in the world. Okay. Is being an XFL punter. It's got to be the easiest job in the world, right? Because you can't kick it out of bounds. You, you basically just got to try and get air on it. If you're close, right. And if they're too close, like you're inside 40 or 45, you're going for it anyways. So the easiest job is having a punter. (laughs) It's, it's being an XFL punter. Now I'm, I may be kind of joking or maybe I'm not, but <laughs> you know, it's not it's not a hard job. Okay. <laughs> not saying I could do it. I don't have the length string that these people have. So Pac mcafee pack, don't come at me. But at the same time, you know, one of the hardest jobs in the world is being a kicker. <laughs> and there ain't no doubt about it. You are whether it's anybody else's a hundred things can go wrong on a field goal or on a field goal attempt in the XFL, right? The snap, a, a bad block. uh The hold is just off slightly. You know, the ball's not rotated, right? There's a lot of things that can go wrong, but people blame it on you. <laughs> and Romo did a great job this year. I think he, this is well-deserved for him. And being said, obviously, Shepard's on this list for the returner, being the special teams. But it's Romo, you know, getting a tryout too, and you know Shepard getting a tryout. I wonder if we'll see, you know, any punters, you know, get a tryout in the NFL, where they actually have to, you know, directional kick the ball.
1: Just for anyone that may not have put this all together, we're talking about kicker is uh, John Parker Romo with the San Antonio Brahmas. Punter is Daniel Whelan of the DC Defenders and return specialist is Darius Shepard of the St. Louis Battle Locks. Okay, just I mean, I'm certain that anyone's really listening is really in tune, but the punter, like, okay, who got it? Well, it's Daniel Whelan. Okay. Yeah. I mean, kicker, I think it's a lock, right? I mean, nothing, oh, we're yeah. not going to sit Easily. here and tear it apart. I, I think he's everyone's unanimous kicker Absolutely. of the year if there was an award for kicker of the year. So, congratulations, Parker Romo. Punter, eh, you can always, I guess, dig into that if you really want to. But looking at his numbers, folks, it's not that he had the most yards. It's not that he had the best average. He only punted 29 times, which is actually not anywhere near the top five. But he took care of business. He had 11 of them than inside the 20. I mean, if you want to look at out of 29, 11, that's a pretty good number. But, I mean, if you want to look at anybody else that had more, you got uh, Porter out of Houston who had 16, but he punted 41 times. If you look at Wig out of San Antonio, he had 16, but he punted 44 times. So, I mean, I'm not a big guy diving into punting statistics here, but I'm trying to make a case here for wheeling. Okay. And I might be doing a
2: poor job, but. I don't think you are. Um, okay. I, I think this is what it's about. And this is about Whelan figured it out. Right. And. He didn't have many attempts and he was probably pretty, you know, they moved the ball pretty decently in DC. So he's pretty close. So he figured it out. He figured it has to go high, high hang time. And it's got to land at, you know, 10 yard lines, you know, maybe slightly inside or outside of it. So the guy has to catch it. Okay. Can't bounce. The guy has to catch it. So he figured that out. Like, Kick it high, get the hang time. The guy's gonna fair catch it at the ten yard line. Ding! There you go. Whereas if you're trying, you know, if you're trying to do what you did in the NFL, you might try and pin that thing and get the backspin and do all this stuff. I think wheeling just figured it out. Don't overcomplicate this and and make it easy. Or the coaching staff did, <laughs> because like I said. I think you can get rid. I think you can get um, in the XFL. Okay. I feel you can get uh, by, by just rugby punting, you know, and, and people may call me nuts, but when that ball bounces in uh, like 15 and it bounces and rolls another 10 or whatever, it just lands inside the five and it dies. You, you can get a guy to practice that he can be your last wide receiver and, and he'll do that and you'd be able to do it. Uh, but Football is a game of, how do I put it? You know, tradition, you know, we, we do what everybody else is doing all the time until somebody changes what we're doing. And then it's innovating, right? Then they're a genius. Bill Walsh is a genius, right? And Mouse Davis is a genius, right? Those guys came, you know, Mike Leach is in hell mummy. And those guys came up with the air raid. They were doing what other people weren't doing. So I think you can get a, at, so that's, Kind of joke about it, okay. And as a coach, when we didn't have a good punter that could directional kick it or or kick it, you know, and and get some and get some field position, that's what we did. And you would net more typically doing that than you would anyways from somebody giving them an opportunity to return. So, anyways, congratulations to these guys. You know, the, and like I said, Romo, obviously no brainer. He he was most clutch and also, you know, probably the, the most accurate. So, and good kickers are like lawyers, right? You don't know that you need one until you need one. Okay. Andrew Brandt. <laughs> so always have a good kicker.
1: Yeah. Kickers have always been that, um, that thankless job. I and mean, so often doesn't matter if you watch the college game, the NFL here, we watch the spring football and the XFL. You don't need them until you need them. I mean, heck, Super Bowls are won or lost by them, by the National Football League folks. I mean, that's just the reality. But like you said, there's so many things that go into it. A guy like Scott Norwood is going to be forever branded by that miss with, that he had for the Bills that should have won that Super Bowl. But the reality is it's not just him. There's a million things that go into it. And you want to talk about pressure. There's a whole lot of pressure on it. So Parker definitely delivered, even though he had a chance to beat the D.C. Defenders. And we can tell about how long and far it was. It was longer than I had, I had recalled. And, you know, but looking, yeah, he had opportunity. But, man, could you imagine if he got that? Which, I mean, just had to, you know, his resume, so to speak. I mean, I know statistics are not always so glamorous on this side of the ball. But, I mean, I will say this. You know, moving past the punter, moving past Skigger. Obviously, Derry Shepard had a, a good year and he was the special team player of the year. And I had made a case for um, Calvin McKnight for the Seattle C sea Dragons. I don't know if you don't put the special teams player of the year on the all team. It would be odd. You know, we kind of discussed okay. that maybe with the quarterbacks a little bit. Could you find a way to put somebody else? It would be weird if you did not. Same thing with the defensive player of the year. But I mean, it just kind of seems like maybe in this case, they could have just made it a kick return and a punt return just to throw another, you know, award, you know another spot, not an award, but another position to get somebody on there. I just don't know if you can make a case for a long snapper or anything like that or a holder. Probably, probably not. I don't know. I mean, guys, I, well, I'm a, now trying to be funny. Yes, I okay. am trying to
2: Well, second most important job, or probably the first most important job for the punter, right, is holding. I, mean, I did miss that, so they're probably more important in that aspect than they are actually punting the ball, if you ask me. But I'm I'm just serious. Like I, I just you can get away with without having a great punter in this league. So. They don't just, want you to punt in this league. The rules are made for you not to punt right?
1: heck, not even a the kick. they don't want you kicking extra points people i've I made that joke before they don't like the kicker enough because they won't even let you kick an extra point. hey it doesn't matter it doesn't matter
2: you know I, I well let's talk about that a little bit <laughs> as I bring up a new subject. Congratulations to all the special teams guys they they definitely uh deserve you know deserve that so so my Proposal was what the USFL does, right? I thought that would increase scoring, kicking the extra point, having the two point from the the two yard line, and then having the three point, I would put it at the five to make it really enticing for people to go for three. But now you're like changing really rules of football and scoring a little bit more. So I thought, uh, you know, the XFL... You know, early on in the season, I felt like conversion rates weren't that high, right? And I'd like to see that. I, I I should probably do a deep dive into that. Somebody has those, you know, send me a DM on week one conversion versus week two, all the way up, all the way up to, you know, the playoffs on the conversion rates and, and one, two, and three points. Um, but I feel like it increased scoring because people were, they were converting so often. Right. I feel like it, it felt like they were converting, especially two points teams started to realize, Hey, we need two points 50% of the time, probably here. And I wonder if that number creeped up, but so kudos to the XFL and Sam Schwarzstein. Right. I, I don't know if he created that or, or who came up with the one, two and three, but that has led to making that play very important. And it means so much, and I think teams started to realize that early on that hey, we're only getting six, but if we can get eight, holy cow, <laughs> if we can get eight. You know, let's say you score four touchdowns at eight three times, that's thirty points, right? I mean, so I think they they realized that they could they could definitely increase scoring that way, and that brings in what fans. Fans want to see scoring points, right? So an extra point is kind of a dud play. You kind of go to the bathroom when that's going on and, you know, in the NFL and in kickoffs, you go to the, you know, because there's not going to be a return in the NFL. So you just, you know, you go grab your snack then. So I think you got to give the XFL credit for doing their research there and, you know, really implementing that. And you saw that throughout the the year. And I think it helped increase scoring, I would love to see the analysis on that, but just kind of thinking it feels like it did. So,
1: well, that concludes another conversation. What was this 13, 12, 13, 13? Yes.
2: 13. Yeah.
1: Man, high flies and you're having fun. we got an XFL championship here on the horizon this weekend. I'll be making the trip. You'll be watching from home. So we're going to get a couple different point of views here and that, that'll be kind of, you know, nice to, to kind of chat about that. And then we have a, a lengthy off season, one that we're not quite used to in football for a league anyway. And it'll be just you know pretty long, but we'll do our best to, to keep rock and roll. But you did mention you want some people to drop you some information if they had that on the conversion. So, you're gonna to have to put your handle out there one more time at least for at least whoever the newbies might be that might have that information that you crave. So go ahead, and put it out there.
2: You know, I feel like so I I feel like I can do the work. Okay. I can look it up and I can go through everything, but I feel like somebody's already done it out there. Okay. I feel like you guys already have it. So if you if you have it, you know, shoot I would just appreciate a, a DM, okay, um, at mark underscore hallbach H-A-L-B-A-C-H on Twitter and and just you know shoot it to me and if 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 you got it um you know we'll see if any you know anybody's listening I guess am <laughs> I you know, doing that but uh, but I feel like somebody's already done all that work so uh you know if you got it i I would love to see it um, I like the data analysis I think it it kind of helps tell a story. But, um, yeah, shoot that out to me.
1: right, perfect. Once again, thank you, Mark, and uh, catch you next week.
2: Sounds good, Michael. Always a pleasure. Have a good one.
1: You too. It is always good to have Mark on the show. Another enjoyable conversation with solid information and takes. Not to wish away the XFL season, but I'm already looking forward to our next conversation. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. Perez. Kobe Pearson the tackle and there he goes. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. Audience. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback, so do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts, and if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing, if you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retro's by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code Let's Talk XFL or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time.
0: Cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate player 54 podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at player 54 podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.